in your copy of scripture to 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to look at verse 1, and then I'm going to ask you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, and I'm going to read a few portions out of that for us this morning. And so um, you'll find that on page 962 if you're using a copy of the Church Bible, 1 Corinthians 16.1. And before we come to the preaching of the word, let me again go to the Lord in dependence and pray for his blessing on the preaching of his word. Father, we're thankful that you have breathed out every word in scripture. We thank you that you have covered every subject that you have covered. We thank you that you have given us a perfect rule for life and godliness and that your word touches on every aspect of our lives, either directly or indirectly. We thank you for those convicting portions of your word. We thank you for those instructing portions of your word. We thank you for those encouraging portions and for those warning portions. We pray this morning that in all that we do, you would make your son exceedingly clear in all of his glory and all of his saving grace and mercy and power. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand that we might turn and be healed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There in 1 Corinthians 16, beginning in verse 1, the apostle is in one of the last transitional sections, the final transitional section, in a book in which he has covered a litany of topics in answering a congregation he had planted, questions that they had written to him. And so what you'll find in both 1 and 2 Corinthians is the apostle is answering questions that members of the church he had planted had. And here in uh, 1 Corinthians 16.1, he, he now says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And then if you would turn over to 2 Corinthians 8, you'll find that on page 967. Uh, There, the apostle picks up another aspect of giving in the life of the church. And he now says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. And then finally, if you would look over to chapter 9, verse 6, the apostle says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, the playwright Oscar Wilde, and maybe you've heard this before, uh, made that great and famous statement, when I was young, I thought that money was the most important thing in life. Now that I'm old, I know that it is. And by way of contrast, Martin Luther uh, made the great statement, possessions belong in your hands, not in your heart. Now, um, money is such a sensitive subject. I think this may be the first sermon I've ever preached on money in this church in eight years. Um, and yet it is such an integral part of our lives. It is, uh, it is something. I have a friend who pastors a uh, rather large historic Presbyterian church, and he said to me one day, he said, you know, money isn't everything, but it's something. And we all know that it's something because so much of our lives are consumed with what we think about money and what we do with money. Um, money is a bad god. Uh, Jesus essentially reduces all religion down to you either serve God or you serve money. Um, there are false gods and false religions, many of which are dependent on and built around materialism and possessions and trying to manipulate gods to get a better life. You know, really all paganism is built around the idea of paying your dues to whatever god you worship to get whatever you think you already deserve in life. Um, you know, Christianity can sometimes be misconstrued. I think there are many people that think giving back to the Lord financially is like a tax. It's not a tax. Um, it's nothing like a tax. In fact, if someone tells you that, it shows that they have that same sort of pay your dues mentality. And yet, so much of our Christian life is determined by what we do with money. I think it was D.L. Moody, the great uh, Baptist evangelist, who said, if you want to know what somebody thinks about Christianity and how well they're living the Christian life, look at their checkbook. And I think it's helpful for us as we come to see how much the Bible has to say about money. You know, uh, Tim Keller, and I've not checked this, I think he is right, but he has made the observation that the Bible speaks 10 to 20 times more about money than it does about sexual sin. And he says, it's very interesting, when he was in New York for the first few years, he says, you know, everybody came up to me, everybody wanted to talk about sex. Is it okay for me to do this? I'm living like this. What's okay? What's not? Nobody talked to me about money. And he said, because money is a sin of the eye and that we're blind to the fact that we have greed in our hearts. Um, it is interesting, isn't it, that Jesus says in the Gospels, 
uh, to beware of all kinds of greed. He never says beware of all kinds of sexual immorality because you know when you're committing sexual immorality. Beware of all kinds of greed. And so it's, it's a crucial subject. And here the Apostle Paul writing to a church that he had planted, writing to people who he wanted to be rooted and established in the faith. We see that they were becoming more and more established in the faith. And yet there was a deficiency. There was one area of their life. Uh, there were many others. But this one area of the church's life and the members of the church's life was suffering. And, and the Apostle uh, commands them in 1 Corinthians 16. It's very interesting, by the way. A lot of people go to 2 Corinthians, and they say, see, giving is not our duty, because it says, not by commandment, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, but what they miss is the context of 2 Corinthians, and they miss that in 1 Corinthians 16.1, Paul gives a command under inspiration of the Spirit that each of us is to lay up according to how we have prospered on the first day of the week. That is, that is what we might call in the Old Testament the tithe. And then what Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians 8 is the free will offerings, those things that are above and beyond, supporting other churches, supporting other missionaries, going beyond the support of the local church of which we're a part. Well, it's interesting. He, he spends such little time in 1 Corinthians and so much more time in 2 Corinthians based on the experiences of the churches around them and what was happening in it. And we see here in the first place that there's a call for generous giving uh, among the saints in worship. Secondly, we're going to see that there's an example of generous giving among the saints in worship. Third, we're going to see the reasons for generous giving in worship. And finally, we're going to see the outcome of generous giving among the saints in worship. The call, the example, the reasons And the outcome, well, the call is so clear. He tells us if you want to be obedient to God, part of that means recognizing that all that we have belongs to God and that he gives us the opportunity to share in the advancement of his kingdom. That that our giving back to the Lord is in no way whatsoever a tax. It's in no way whatsoever paying your dues. Um, We should never think about the call to give back to the Lord as, well, if I do this, then God will do this. That's completely unbiblical, but there is a clear responsibility. Just as there's a responsibility for us to take off one day in seven for spiritual worship and rest, there is a responsibility to give back to the Lord out of all that is his and all that he gives us. And there is a manifestation of that in the responsibility that we have to each other and to other churches. There is an interconnectedness in the church. The call to give is a call to communal care and support. You know, the church is not a business as much as many people are duped into thinking the church is a business. The church doesn't have a product. The gospel is not a product. The gospel is not a product. It doesn't make money. The church is God's house, and the call is for support in God's house. It's for care in God's house. In Malachi, uh, the Lord brings that scathing critique against Israel when he says, well, man, rob me. And, and again, they're blind, just like Keller says, it's an ice. And they're like, how did we rob you? And the word rob there means oppress. Um, and the Lord says, in tithes and offerings. And he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. God has purposed that by the provision of his people, by the generous giving of his people, that there should be food in his house, that there should be support and care, there should be provision for ministry. You know, um, it's interesting, 
the Lord Jesus, and we're going to see this later, uh, left the infinite glories and riches that he had as God. And without ceasing to be God, came in the flesh and, and became homeless and poor. Um, he didn't have a nice home to invite people into for ministry. He didn't have, he didn't have uh, any luxury, nothing. Um, but he had the support of women, the Bible tells us, that there were women that supported the Lord Jesus. So your salvation and my salvation was in part fueled by the financial support of these women that supported the ministry of the Redeemer. Because God, and we'll see this at the end, is glorified. The call is that we would be generous, that we would recognize that everything that we have belongs to the Lord, that we would have right views about giving and about generosity. Now, Luther, it's very interesting, he asked that question because you could ask this question, why doesn't God just do it all himself? If he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, if he owns every molecule in the universe, if he, if he owns your life, if, if he doesn't need anything and we don't give him anything and we don't, uh, by the way, that's, that's something called the, the doctrine of the aseity of God, say he is sufficient in himself. We, we don't use that word in our society. We should. Um, God is self-sufficient, all-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. So Luther asked that question, well, why, why then doesn't God do it all by himself? And this is what he said. He wants us to work with him. He does us the honor of wanting to affect his work with us and through us. Isn't that a marvelous thought? My dad used to say that to us growing up, that God doesn't need us. But he chooses to give us the privilege of laboring with him for the advancement of his kingdom so that we get fruit, he gets glory. And here, Luther is saying the same thing. And the Apostle Paul is saying that in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He's saying he wants them to be fruitful and to abound and that thanksgiving abounds to God, which we'll come to see again. And so there is a clear call for generous giving among the people of God. And then secondly, there is an example of generous giving Notice there in 2 Corinthians 8, the apostle does something quite interesting. He, he is writing to one church, and, and you know, it's one of those things, I think, if I did this in this church, what would the responses be? I might not have a job if it was like, okay, now you guys need to do like that church over there. <laughs> but that's what Paul's doing. Paul's saying, here's an area where you need to grow. And let me give you an example. Here are the churches in Macedonia. Now, the churches in Macedonia were planted by Paul. Remember, Lydia was down by the river with some women singing some praises. Paul went down there. Um, That church plant was founded by a single businesswoman, a jailer, and a crazy slave girl. That was the church plant in Philippi, Macedonia. And, and apparently from what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 8 is that that church continued to not, not have sort of this status socially. It wasn't a, it wasn't a financially vibrant church. It wasn't, it wasn't a particularly renowned church for its intellectual adherence like Ephesus or Corinth, this church certainly. Um, and yet there was something about the churches in Macedonia. They had come to the Apostle Paul. This is amazing. The people in this church that didn't even have enough for what they needed came to the Apostle Paul because they heard that the churches in Jerusalem were suffering because of persecution. And they said, Paul, we want to give you out of our lack so that they will have 
what they need. Notice what Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, verse 2, in a a severe test of affliction, so they were in a a time of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, beyond their means. So, so they didn't have enough financial security for themselves as a church, and yet they had large, generous hearts, and they wanted to help a church that was in need, even when they themselves were in need. Now, there have been many tests, and um, I'm not, I mean, I have, a, I have a guess about why this happens, but, but there have been many, many stats that show that the people who have the least give the most. Um, Jesus, in that one account in which uh, he is with his disciples and he points to the one woman who has a couple cents and she puts in all that she has. And, and Jesus says, see, all these put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, she's put in more than all. And that's the Macedonian church. They had learned that principle. They weren't thinking only for themselves. They were thinking, how can we be more generous? How can we give more? How can we care more? Really, you know, and this is, this is the hard thing because none of us give like we should. And um, this sermon should be convicting to all of us. Um, I think we convince ourselves that we need things that we don't really need. Um, even when we make a tight budget and live within it, there's a lot on there that's not actually necessity. Now, the Bible doesn't say you've got to live like a monk in a cave with people putting bread down every day and providing for you. Where This is not asceticism. I mean, the same, the same Apostle Paul says that, that God is rich and, and, and gives bountifully to all his people, and he's rich in grace, and he wants us to enjoy the bounty of his creation, but not in such a way that we are living as if all that we have is for us. You see, what enabled the Macedonians to do what they did? Um, I think, and I'll move in here for us to the third point on reasons for giving, the, the Macedonians had learned several things. First, I think they knew that, that all that they had belonged to the Lord. Now, this is important for us to get because I, I think most of us convince ourselves, you know, if I gave X number of dollars, usually it's much less than 10% if, if people were honest, but it, I gave X number of dollars, uh, therefore I've given back to God what's his and the rest is mine. I'm pretty sure that's how most of, most of us live like we believe that. So I've given this, the rest of it's mine. But what the Bible says is it's all God's. And that uh, he never gives us anything ever that he ever relinquishes ownership of. Our children, our spouses, our homes, everything. It's all his. All the money's his. And what he's made us is stewards. He's made us managers. We are his financial managers. And, And everything he gives us, he says, I want you to be good stewards of what I give you. And I want you to give away generously and care for the needs of your home and, and have the provisions that you need. But I want you to be like me. Because at the end of the day, God is exceedingly generous. He is exceedingly bountiful. So much so that he gives himself up on the cross to redeem us. He spares nothing. God the Father 
God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, together, working together, in perfect unity of one essential will, agreed in the councils of eternity, that the Son would be sent by the Father, and that the Son would willingly give his life up, that he who was rich would become poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. And that means God gave up his most valuable possession to bring us to glory. And so when we look at money, we've got to remember what Luther said, that money is to be possessed in our hands, not in our hearts. Um, You know, what we worship determines how we spend. What we worship determines what we do with our money. So if I worship the Lord and I worship him from the heart and I love him because he first loved me and I realize what he's done for me and I'm delighting in Christ and I want to be in Christ and I want to be in heaven, then the Bible says and Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if that's my treasure, if my treasure is being with Christ, if my treasure is not in this world and possessions and big homes and new cars and everything else we want and our our treasure is going to heaven, then we will worship the Christ in heaven, and we then will have our hearts set on that, so how we then use what we have will be an outworking of that. So we, we, wherever our hearts are and whatever we worship, that's where we direct our money and our possessions and, and where generosity comes from. But notice the apostle gives many other things that the Macedonians had learned, other reasons. It's, it's not only a duty, it's, it's not only, and it is supremely, uh, there in chapter 8, verse 9, by the gospel. But it's also because it's pleasing to God. Um, when the Bible says the Lord loves a cheerful giver, um, he delights when his people are joyfully generous. Not, well, I guess we'll give that. That's not joyfully generous. I guess, yeah, I guess we should give that. That is not joyful generosity. God loves joyful generosity. Um, I know you know this, but the word is similar in etymology to the, the word for which we get our English word hilarious. He loves somebody that just joyfully and hilariously, as it were, gives back to him and gives to others. Um, and so we should count it a great blessing that one of the reasons is that God delights in our generosity, he's glorified in our generosity, and, and he is pleased and honored. But then there is the outcome, and I want us to just consider this as we sort of walk out of these passages. Um, notice that in, in chapter 9, verse 6, Paul kind of sums up this whole section on giving, and he says the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Now, here's the thing. It takes faith in Jesus Christ and walking by faith to get that. Because in the flesh, it doesn't make any sense. You will never meet someone in the financial industry who will ever tell you, yeah, if you give away more than what you should, you're going to increase ever. And yet the Bible says that. There is one who gives away more than what is right and yet increases. There is one that withholds what is right and yet suffers want. 
So there's a principle. So behind this world, behind, uh, behind the Dow Jones, behind the S&P, behind, um, behind all the financial substructures of this fallen world, there is a God who is working his purposes and his plans and his ways. And one of those purposes are to make his people fruitful. And so the Macedonian church understood that one of the results of them being generous was that God was going to provide bountifully so that they would continue being generous. So that the more they gave, they knew the Lord would give them more, not to then stop giving and live on that. We don't believe that. But that he would give more so that we would then give more. And then he would give more so then you would then give more. That's the principle. I have a mentor who often says to me, about budgeting in the church, give me a million dollars and I'll give you a million dollar budget. We'll support more missionaries. Give me two million dollars, we'll have a two million dollar budget. We'll support more church plants, seminaries, missionaries. Give me three million dollars, I'll give you a three million dollar budget. Because there's no stinginess in the church because God is not stingy. And because God is so generous, he wants us to share in being fruitful. He wants you to be fruitful. You know, the apostle will actually tell this church that he planted, that, that one of the things that he was doing was trying to stir up in them a way of fulfilling, he says, this grace. He wanted them to learn that, that they were to fulfill this grace just as they were fulfilling the grace of God in growing in knowledge and love and wisdom and care. He says, so grow in this grace. This is a grace. This is a vital part of the Christian life. And you know what? The last thing I want to hear on Judgment Day, and it is a terrible thought, is you wicked and lazy servant. Jesus says that in the parable, that there are many that will hear, you wicked and lazy servant. I gave you this, and you should have been a good steward of it. Now, good stewardship does not mean hoarding. You know, you can have very little and be very greedy. Um, Greed is not a sin that is exclusive to the wealthy. Greed is greed. You can have nothing and be supremely greedy. Um, You can be uh, frugal and be supremely greedy. You can be a pleasure seeker and wasteful and be supremely greedy. So the principle we need to learn is that God wants us to be fruitful with what he's entrusted to us, to be good stewards of what he's entrusted to us, and that in doing that, there will be, there will be benefit and, and bounty. There will be a, a sowing and a reaping of bountiful proportions. Now, notice that uh, God is the one who supplies all this. Notice verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency at all, in all things at all times, you may have and abound in every good work. Now, one of the things that we learn as we give and as God provides bountifully to give more, is that everything is coming from him. Because the person that looks at um, giving to the Lord, tithing, as sort of paying the dues, like the Pharisees. The Pharisees, Jesus said they tithed. We should do it. They did it. But they, they didn't care about mercy. They weren't generous. They didn't have right hearts. And, and they really thought they had accumulated that wealth. Jesus tells us the Pharisees were lovers of money. And, um, and one of the things that we learn as we sort of unpack this and we see the way people view money is that one of the outcomes of generous giving is that we start to understand better and see more clearly how God is the one supplying this. You know, there are loads of people in the church that say, you know why I have what I have? Because I worked hard. 
You have what you have because God gave you the gifts that he gave you. He put you in the circumstances that he put you in. He had you cross paths with the people he had you cross paths with. He had you grow up in the home you grew up in. If you have more than others, there are a thousand circumstantial things that God did that you had no control over. You could have been born in poverty in India. So it's not because you worked hard. Notice, God is able. Verse 8, chapter 9, verse 8, God is able. God is able. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it's written. He distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Well, the last result of generous giving is that God is thanked. Now, this is one of those really intriguing um, motive results about generosity. As Christians, we say, you know, I just thank God. I thank God for this. I thank God for that. Oftentimes, we just use it almost in a colloquial sort of non-conscious way from the heart. But, but as Christians, we profess we want God to be thanked. That is crucial to what a profession of faith in Christ means. We want God to be thanked. We want to be thankful people. We have a holiday for it. We get that. Thanksgiving. But here's what we often don't get. The generosity of God's people in the church for the support of the church, for the support of missionaries, for the support of other churches, results in God being thanked. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. Notice this. He says in verse 11, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Isn't that marvelous? So when we become generous people in the church and we realize that God owns everything that we have and we're just managers and we don't actually own any of it, all of it's his, and and we start to care deeply about desiring to bring him glory and to please him and not just to build our own kingdoms, and, and we then desire to be generous in caring for those around us who are in need in other churches, and, and we, we start to get in that rhythm of generosity, if we can say that, then the end result is loud praise and thanksgiving to God. God is thanked. Um, And that eliminates, doesn't it? That eliminates any sense of you being like, well, we gave this. We give that. I did this. I did that. That's deep in our self-righteous hearts. We we have those thoughts in our minds and hearts, even if we don't verbalize it. But when when we start to become really generous people, God gets thanksgiving because everything is directed Godward. And we see more clearly who he is, and we see more clearly his purposes, and we see more clearly his grace, and then we start to see more clearly him making us fruitful. And who doesn't want to be fruitful? I want to be fruitful in everything, in knowledge, in love, in faith, in wisdom. I want to be fruitful. We, we want to grow in this grace. Now, I want to leave you with this thought. I want to go back to chapter 8, verse 9. Um, there is, there is no greater animating thought that helps cure us of those areas where we have not been generous 
and cures our hearts of a lack of generosity than, than what God has done in Christ again. There's nothing, there's nothing that will stir your heart. No amount of feeling guilty that you haven't given enough, that you bought too much for yourself, that you should have been doing this, that's not, that's not actually going to produce generosity. What produces generosity is that uh, we know that the one who redeemed us and all of his grace that has come to us is seen in that he who was rich became poor. And I mean rich, like really rich, like owns everything, everybody's bank account, (laughs) everything, every bird, every animal, every person, every molecule. He owns it all. He owns the universe. He owns the stars. They're his. And he gave up all the glories of heaven to redeem selfish, greedy, self-pleasing, self-interested people like you and me. That's amazing. He became poor to save greedy, selfish, ungenerous people like me and like you. And then he got all the glory back, and now he is ruling and reigning as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He asks the Father, and the Father gives him the nations for the inheritance. He's secured the new creation by shedding his blood on the cross. He's promised to come back and to remake this fallen, greedy, wicked world and to make it into a glorious, righteous, new heavens and new earth where we will dwell with him and we will be partakers of an everlasting inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us who are being kept by God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That... That is what animates us. So, if you are listening to this and you don't like it, I feel your pain. Um, This is actually one of the most convicting sermons, and I don't like preaching topical sermons, and I don't like preaching about money, although the Bible says a lot about it. Um, This is an extremely convicting sermon for me, because I know that there are massive areas of my life where I am just buying things for myself. Even if I can say, well, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving. And so I want us to consider how the gospel can change us and and how New Covenant can become this exceedingly generous church. You know, we could become a church with, we don't even own our own building. The Macedonians may not have, they probably didn't. But out of their lack, they gave joyfully and abundantly And they had fruit, and they were the glorious manifestation of the gospel in the lives of God's people. And, and, you know, the Bible calls us to outdo one another in showing honor. And as your pastor, what I want to do more than anything is I want to become a person that learns how to outgive and outdo in showing honor and outlove, even when I don't feel like I have what I might want in my life. Um. You know what? Here's the glorious thought, and I'll leave you with this this morning. Just as the Apostle Paul said that God is able to make all grace abound toward us, he's able to free us of our greed, he's able to free us of all kinds of covetousness and help us to see where they are in our lives, he's able to make us generous, He's able to make us fruitful. He's able to use us as vessels that bring him thanksgiving. And here's the glorious thing. If you took the wealthiest 
famous person in the world that was in the greatest acts of philanthropy that you could find gave away the most money to all kinds of social justice things. And you put that person next to a poor widow that gives away all that she has. Jesus said that woman changed the world. Billions and billions and billions of dollars have gone for the advancement of the gospel because of what that woman did. And this person will be praised today and forgotten tomorrow. And God isn't thanked, and fruit is not born, because that's just a self-righteous paying your dues act. You know, I, I just I want to encourage us all to be taking these things to heart, to be examining ourselves, to, to ask the Lord to open our eyes to see where we are spending on ourselves and things that are not needs, and to open our eyes to see where there are areas in this church and among the saints where there, there are needs and where we are called to be generous. Um, let him who has ears to hear... Let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we acknowledge that all of us fail in many ways, and we acknowledge that we have not been generous as we ought. We acknowledge that we have often had wrong thoughts of you, thoughts of paying our dues or paying you a tax, and we have many times forgotten, Lord, that you own everything and that every penny you give us is yours. And so please press that into our minds and hearts this morning. And with that, give us that great knowledge of all that we have in Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us, how he who was rich became poor that we through his poverty might become rich. Our God, we pray that you would be praised and thanked as we enter in on this grace in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.